This is a podcast from Jacob's Journal, an engineering research journal at the University of California, San Diego, run entirely by and for undergraduates. All opinions expressed by podcast participants do not reflect the opinions of the organization nor the university. Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of Jacob's Journal new podcast series. My name is Trisha. Um, I am the editor-in-chief currently of Jacob's Journal for Engineering Research. JJ is a relatively new student org at UCSD, and we work with mostly younger writers and guide them through the peer review process and um, offer an online journal for them to share their work in engineering research, as well as any uh, original research or projects that they have done. Uh, I'm joined tonight by Claire, if she wants to introduce herself. Yeah, hi everybody. I'm Claire, first year mechanical engineering at Marshall College. Um, first podcast with JJ. It's uh, been really great uh, being part of the team so far. So hoping to learn more as much as I can and hopefully I can join in on more podcasts in the future. Awesome, yes, thank you so much for being here. Um, tonight, we want to introduce uh, UCSD nanoengineering graduate student, Aku Saraf. He attended UCSD as an undergraduate and graduated in the spring of 2020 during the pandemic. He probably began his graduate career in the next in the coming fall. Um, yeah, let's welcome him now. Hello, uh, thanks for having me. Awesome, yeah, thanks so much. Um, yeah, so let's start with, I guess, just a really brief introduction. Um, you know, maybe your really quickly what your experience was like during undergraduate, and um, yeah, let us know who you are. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, as Trisha said, my name is Aku. Um, I graduated in, in the spring of 2020 and immediately I started my graduate studies in the fall. Um, I came to UCSD in the fall of 2016. Um, I came from the Midwest, specifically Lincoln, Nebraska. So I came from out of state and I arrived at UCSD with no connections whatsoever. So I came in order to get a real fresh start because I I grew up in an area where I felt a little bit distant from my community. So I tried to build a brand new community all by myself. So I did a lot of meeting around of different kinds of people, um, joined various clubs, um, explored different activities, sports, and eventually I settled on a few groups. And one of them was centered around uh, engineering. So I was really involved in the uh, Nano Engineering and Technology Society of American Institute of Chemical Engineers. And of course, uh, I got to meet a few very interesting people through those organizations and get involved with some awesome projects. I think that the most important thing for me to do for the, that I did when I came to UCSD is immediately start looking for my interests and trying to figure out what I wanted to do in college. Because I think if I'd stayed in my own bubble in engineering or even amongst other people of my background, I don't think I would have found a lot of the room for growth that I did. Um, and also joining a lab, perhaps one of the best things I could possibly do when I came here. Uh, I got into first biosensing and then I ended up switching over to batteries. And now I just do general electrochemistry, which has just become the centerpiece of my graduate career. Can you tell us more about how you found what you're interested in? And, you know, if 
let's say you got into something and you didn't like it like how how did how was your reaction to that and what did you do well it was a combination of a few things uh, one thing is i would talk to people that had expertise in those things um, for biosensing for example i talked to professors graduate students and also my peers that were in that field um, and of course i also got involved with people in the industry as well people who have actually worked on that kind of stuff so if there was a networking event I would jump in and just talk to people. And another thing is um, reading papers, just reading research papers. I kind of made it a goal that every week I would try to get through at least one research paper, something I pick up either at random or if I really, really am curious about a specific subject, I'd just go to Google Scholar, pull a paper. And uh, if I didn't have access or was behind a paywall, just use Sci-Hub and get it for free, pretty great. And over time, I realized that my interests were really in fundamental concepts in electrochemistry and molecular physics. Awesome. Oh, no. So there was really like no, no times where you went to something and then realized you just didn't like it and you had to kind of pull out from it? Well, that did happen a few times. Um, like with biosensing initially, um, biology as a whole was a field that I've was interested in at the surface level, but once I got into it, I got a little bit disenchanted with it. Um, same thing happened with pure material science, like you know, um, um, things like uh, mechanical testing and uh, even even things like uh, biomimetics. Something I think is really really cool to study, but looking at it from a from a, um, in a once I got deeper into it, I found it a little bit boring and realized it really wasn't my thing. Um, but I never felt that way when dealing with um, electrochemistry and um, intermolecular interactions. The more I read about it, the more interested I get. So I realized that's where I need to go. Yeah, you said um, you made it a goal to read one research paper per week, which I think that's crazy. First of all, it takes oh, yeah. so long to read just one and just be able to digest it. But um, that's awesome. You said that they were from like any topic whatsoever, they didn't necessarily need to be related to what you're interested in. And I was wondering what what you would say to a student who is sort of that like jack of all trades, they're sort of interested in everything and they're not sure where to go. Oh, that I was actually, that was exactly me, um, especially in my freshman, sophomore year. Um, and I would say to them is just take a piece of paper and write out everything you're interested in and just try and see where you can take it or what you want to do with that. Because ultimately it's, rather than asking yourself, why are you learning this or why are you pursuing it? Just try and be a little bit crafty and try and figure out how can I use this? Um, how can I apply this into something I'm interested in? Because it doesn't have to be a direct application. No, you, you can also look at the, the epistemic content of it. Like, what can this field teach me? Like. On one hand, um, I have no intention of going into medicine. I have no intention of going into um, pure life sciences, but the way they do research, like the way they just can throw data at a problem, that's pretty awesome. So I figured maybe I could adopt that into the way I study. And uh, looking at um, you know those hardcore theoretical physicists, I could never do that. I do not have the constitution for that, but the way they address the problem so thoroughly and just pick apart the little details, that I admire so much. And that I think is something I can adopt. Um, things like that. Um, and it doesn't even have to be STEM related. Um, 
you can look at, for example, um, I really like martial arts, for example, combat sports. I love boxing. And boxing is one of those things where it's just about seeing what works. Um, look at what your problem is, your opponent, and try and figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, so just throwing tools at a problem can work sometimes. Think of that too. Yeah, that's really inspiring. Thanks so much. Um, what's your relationship with the biochemistry field or the health field? I think that it's something I like to read about, but uh, I don't know how I feel about going into it just because um, every time I got into it, I either got bored, which uh, that's just my problem with poor constitution in that field, or there's some things like in the ethical department that I found a little bit questionable. Like the way some of the medical tests are carried out, I'm not particularly happy about that. Um, I could tr I could look up look for examples if you like, but uh, the reality is that it's it's a very controversial field, and it's not controversial in the kind of way I like. I like controversy in, in the regards that there are many many theories for a certain thing, but when it comes to the treatment of human lives and animal lives, that's a different story for me. Yeah, that's totally understandable. Um, I'm definitely like kind of concerned about that sometimes about testing on animals or doing these things to their brains or organs or whatever it is. But um, I don't know. I, I just can never imagine like how else some of those discoveries could come about. So this kind of like that internal conflict. Yeah, my mother is a is a professor of biology and she tells me about her experiences with lab rats and I don't know if I could do the same things that she did because I have this tendency to get attached to animals. I get, I get attached to animals very quickly and uh, the kinds of things you have to do, I could never live with myself. So yeah, I, I stick to the inorganic stuff. That's fair. Well, um, I don't know, maybe steering, <laughs> steering the conversation back to engineering again. Um, I know we were kind of wondering about your thoughts about the engineering curriculum overall at UCSD, particularly in undergrad, I guess. Yeah, um, actually reformation in my department's curriculum was something I was very active, actively involved in. And um, it started with a good friend of mine, his name is Robert Ramji. Uh, he and I were talking about how the department is redundant in teaching certain lessons and does not cover certain lessons enough. Um, I haven't done enough reading into other engineering curricula to make the judgment, but uh, in my curriculum in nanoengineering, it, it is a really big problem. For example, um, you take a class on relativity and quantum mechanics, and then you'd see repeats of that in a class called chemical principles in nanoengineering, as well as physical principles in nanoengineering. The three classes are, they share a lot of overlap, and they just repeat the same content rather than building on top of one another. I'll contrast it to the chemical engineering curriculum where the content builds very well on, on, on one another. So one example would be when you're taking um, mass balance, um, energy balances, thermodynamics and reaction engineering. It feeds well into the idea of your, your, your building control systems. And then when you take the transport series, you're taking fluid mechanics um, you're taking heat transfer, mass transfer. It culminates into 
the control systems class very, very well. And you can get, you can very clearly see how you're going to put these things together. Um, but in nanoengineering, it's not quite as cohesive. And part of that might be a problem where it's a younger field, it's more, more difficult to do. But on the other hand, you do need to look at the industry and see what is going on. Um, when it comes to nanotechnology, you're looking at biosensing, for example, you're looking at um, energy conversion and storage. So looking at what fundamental knowledge you need in industry is probably the most important thing in engineering because engineering was born from industry. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, it was, it was um, Carnegie Mellon that rev revolutionized the study of chemical engineering particularly because it was meant to go and they were meant to work in industry. So it's a, it's a very vocational um, career-minded major. So in nanoengineering, that's not really the case, it seems. It seems very geared towards grad school, which is you know great for someone like me, but I'm not particularly convinced that it's a good major to label as an engineering major because that implies that it's built for industry. It's really not. Um, had a discussion with um, Steve Oldenburg at Nanocomposics. He was saying that he won't hire a nanoengineering student with a, with a bachelor's degree, but he will hire a chemical engineering student with a bachelor's degree. Now, he does that because for one is the chemical engineer has better background in chemistry. And also they have a, they have a more stalwart foundation uh, as to how they can learn things. That foundation doesn't exist in nanoengineering quite as clearly. So that was one of the things that we proposed. We take more classes that are very lab oriented that get you doing things because um, engineering, you have to get your hands dirty. And another thing is you have to do more design work. Um, so one of the big things that we proposed was rather than, rather than just regurgitating facts on an exam, make us build something. So um, one of the things that Professor Lopomi did in our, one of my classes that I remember very well is he would give us these certain restrictions and he'd have us design a solution. For example, we had to find a way to target a certain illness in this area of the body. How would we do it? So we design our nanoparticles, um, the shape, the size, what you're gonna cover it with, and then you can do your detection method by seeing what all we learned in the class. It's a step. Um, Reforming whole curriculum is a very long and tedious process. Um, another thing is uh, looking at uh, things like crystallography. Crystallography is a great field to learn, but I wouldn't say it's applicable in all areas of nanotechnology because it's great if you want to do, say, material design, but if you want to do like medicine or bioengineering, not so much. So back to that question I asked, um, rather than asking, why can I learn it? Ask, how can I use it? And if you can come up with a lot of things where you can, you can clearly target how you're going to use it in how you're, how you're going to use your, what you learned in, in industry, that's great. That's a good curriculum. But when the, how are you going to use it becomes a thinner list, you run into issues. So that was one thing that Robert, Robert was very keen on doing, which I jumped on board for. It's an ongoing process. We, we were advocating 
um, Nano 20L, which is now being offered, and uh, getting Nano 100L, another lab class in the curriculum. Again, there's a lot more to do, but uh, yeah, engineering, you have to get your hands dirty and you have to do a lot of design work. What do you think the, these effects are? So you're trying to gear the nano engineering department away from shuffling all the graduates into grad school. You want them to be more prepared for applying their studies to anything they want. And so I noticed that there's a relationship between chemical engineering and, and nano engineering. Um, what's the effect that you want? You, you, want, you want to bring more graduates into industry. And so what sort of are you looking for there? Well, one of the things is I'm trying to make a clearer pipeline and if not a, clear, a clearer pipeline from, from school to industry, um, kind of cultivate the enterprising nature that is in uh, nanoengineering. Um, I'd like to use a model of uh, calling generations of engineering. Um, so for example, chemical engineering, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, I call those first gen engineering because they've been around forever. Industry is well established. But as far as room for innovation goes, there's not too much. Most, it's mostly just improving on what's already there. Second gen, I would say that's your bioengineering, your computer engineering, and maybe material science. These are things that it's decently well-developed, but there's a lot of room to grow. So there's still a lot of room for innovation. But things like environmental engineering and nanoengineering, I'd call those third gen, where it's really, really young. There's a lot of room for growth, but also you need a lot more training in order to create something and be enterprising. So I think nanoengineering is a field that's really, really good for graduate students because you, know, you have the training, you have the foundation, but for undergrads, it's a lot harder to build that foundation. So, and then obviously you can't just throw a bunch of classes at someone and expect them to learn everything. So instead, what I'd advocate for is Having, is, is having the classes kind of cohesively build on one another and maybe just making it very clear that if you don't know these certain things, please study them before the class. So that way that you, you're more prepared to do your design work and to actually take part in industry more effectively. Does I, that answer? Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, so I noticed that, um, I'm, I'm not sure if this is the same for the nanoengineering department, particularly for the undergraduate level, um, but classes are offered once per quarter, like they're only offered during the winter or they're only offered during the fall and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So um, undergraduate students have to really follow closely their four-year plan and there's not a lot of wiggle room. And yeah. for the MAE and the SE department, I would say it's pretty cohesive and, and and I'm pretty satisfied with the way that all of the um, structural mechanic classes sort of line up where you're learning it. And then in literally in the next quarter, you're applying it. Um, yeah. But what would you say, or how, how are students supported when you know they fall behind or for, for any reason really? When you fall behind, you're honestly, you're kind of screwed. There's really not much you can do. So once you, if, once you get past your lower divs, you're on your own really. And you take lower divs for, for, for about two years. You only really get into your upper divs in your, in, your, in your third year. 
And that's something we've been looking to change as well. And right now, I'm pretty happy that they are shifting towards introducing the earlier class, the, the, the upper divs like Nano 101 um, in freshman year, um, which is I'm thrilled about. So, but yeah, as far as repetition of classes goes, um, that's a staffing issue as well. And uh, typically professors will only teach one, maybe two classes a quarter. So unless, unless you, can, you can find a way to staff the department, which you know the department's by personnel is a lot smaller than most others. But yeah, ultimately that's also a staffing issue. Well, for students who, who see that like problem, who feel that same concern that you felt before, how, how would you recommend them to get, get more involved with advocating for reform in their curriculums? Well, one thing is um, you can't just complain about every problem because you, you really need to have a reason behind it. And one of the best ways to do that is to talk to people in industry, talk to people who graduated, and uh, maybe talk to graduate students as well. And even some professors, they really might agree with you. Um, um, uh, there, I had a, um, an upperclassman, Jennifer, Jennifer Miller. Uh, she was very close with Professor Shirley Mung, who was one of the titans in my department. Um, they had a great back and forth about improving the curriculum. Um, one of the biggest problems was how thermodynamics, um, perhaps one of the most important fields in engineering, was not a core class, but an elective. That was a glaring red flag to everybody. Um, and uh, so we, we were advocating for that, got it done. Um, also remind me, are both of you um, structural engineering or? So uh, I'm structural and Claire is mechanical. Mechanical, okay, perfect. So you both have thermodynamics in your curriculum, right? No, so structural does not. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, I did take it just because I was following the MAE track um, mm -hmm. for my first few years, but it mm -hmm. is an elective. And the only thing, we're, we're required to take fluids. And mm -hmm. in our fluids class, Professor Keiko Nomura, she refers to thermo every single lecture. And it's it's it, it's a problem, yes, although it's, it's not like required for us as, as structural mm -hmm. engineers. Um, but yeah, uh, ours is a elective as well. Wow. I'm surprised that another engineering curriculum doesn't have thermo as a central class. Right. That's, yeah, that's, I, I, I didn't know that. But yeah, I think it was MAE 110 that was thermo, right? Yeah, and it, it, it changed to MAE 11, so now it's a lower division. So I'm not sure mm -hmm. if if the content of it changed, but uh, you're able to take it earlier in your um, for your plan, which I think is a great idea. Which yeah. I, love that. I think thermodynamics is one of those things that you have to be introduced to early, uh, not just because it's so important for um, engineering as a field, but I really, I, I really feel evil for saying this, but I'm an advocate for weeders. Um, I, I don't know if are you familiar with the term weeder class? Fantastic. Yeah. So the reason why I'm an advocate for weeders is because at the end of the day, yes, you do need to make the curriculum more accessible, but at the same time, you cannot sacrifice your quality, the quality of students you put through the curriculum. So at the end of the day, you have to have some weeder classes. Um, 
fluid mechanics is for chemical engineering. Um, it was crystallography when I was in, when, when I was an under, undergraduate in nanoengineering. Um, I don't know what it's going to be now, now that crystallography is an elective, but probably thermodynamics. But yeah, you, you, need to, you need to keep the intensity high. Probably keep the course load low, but the intensity high, like they do in graduate school right now. But yeah, that, that has to be done. Can you quickly define what a reader class is? A reader class is a class that is more difficult than most of the classes you'll take. And those will typically, typically be the classes that end up um, thinning the, the class a little bit. There will be some attrition. Um, so let's say all three of us are taking a weeder class together and uh, I couldn't handle it. So I switched out of, out of engineering into another, into another major that's more my style. It should be recognized that it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that I switched my major. Um, it's just that the engineering thinking style did not suit my thought process. That's fine. Maybe I switched into physics or maybe I switched into biochem. That's fine. But I do think that weeder classes need to be, still need to hold their place. And keeping them consistent, maybe like having thermodynamics as a general weeder class, I support that. Do you think that dynamic has shifted once we went virtual? I think so. I think it's a lot easier to study right now because you know you're in the comfort of your own home as well. And um, also the professors I have in grad school as well as in my last quarter of undergrad, they switched more to design problems. I didn't take any um, thermodynamics classes while, um, in, while in my last quarter of undergrad. And I haven't taken any as a grad student, but um, generally a lot of design problems. And uh, I tend to be more design oriented, which is why I chose to study engineering. So that's kind of perfect for me. Is the graduate program or is industry suffering from like the lower standards of graduates? Well, I would say that um, I, I didn't tell you this earlier, but I am a part startup that I started here in Lincoln, Nebraska, where I am right now. And um, we have some interns at, from the University of Nebraska and uh, some of them are doing, are, are, are quite good. Others, not so much. And I do think that because it's a lot, easy, it's a lot easier to just Google answers now, it's, um, you're not gonna have people that remember all the information. And um, I'm sure that's, a, that's an issue that you see in, in, in virtual classrooms as well. Because yes, I do know professors give you the option to Google things, but at the same time, you need to understand what you're learning. And I think I'm seeing less and less, less of that. I see. Uh, one, one question that I did have is um, for students who are struggling then, or not really struggling with the content itself, but more just realizing this problem with curriculum, or maybe they're a nano engineering major and they're seeing those same problems. How would you, how would you think, what would you think is a good way for them to find external resources to additionally build a engineering uh, knowledge base for themselves? One of the most important things I'd say is 
get an internship at a startup specifically. Um, internships are great because you learn skills very directly, but at a startup, particularly because startups, you have to do absolutely everything. Um, so through the startup that I've been helping build, yes, of course, I did my usual stuff like, um, uh, like device fabrication and stuff, um, cleaning, uh, cleaning gold chips, uh, putting graphene on them, et cetera, et cetera. That's you know, your conventional, basically chemist by training stuff, mixing solutions. But I also had to do things like I do machining. Like I had to learn how to machine parts. I learned how to, uh, how to do very much more complex CAD than I ever have done. Um, 3D, more 3D printing. Uh, 3D printing with metal, that was pretty intense. Um, let's see, um, soldering, soldering circuit boards, and uh, even under Raspberry Pi. Things that I probably wouldn't have done through conventional academic means. Um, and then through another startup, um, I was able to do a little bit of um, building, build, building algorithms, trying to, uh, trying, trying to build, build a, I tried to build a neural network. That was a little bit weird. I didn't finish that one, but that was a valuable learning experience for me as well. So if you're not, if you don't feel like you're learning a lot in your curriculum, join a startup or at least get an internship at one. All right, so um, what is sort of the relationship between the nanoengineer department and industry specifically? Because when you say you're, you're advocating to, uh, for, for students to join a startup or do an internship during their, their undergraduate career, um, is that taking away from, you know, if, if they want a graduate career or what would I you say? No, wait, no. Um, I think that if you, if you, I, I actually, um, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think that having industry experience is going to enrich your life in graduate school, should you go to graduate school, because if you know what industry is like, you'll have very specifically tailored skills you'll have a deep background in something that might be particularly attractive to a, to a graduate advisor. Uh, for example, if you worked at a biotech company for a bit and you end up joining a lab that does Western blot or PCR a lot, you're basically the master in the lab. Um, so I would say that those internships absolutely go for them, even if you plan to go to grad school. In fact, um, one of the things I regret as an undergrad is not spending enough time looking at internships. I did maybe one or two. I thought, I, I think I should have gone for a lot more than I did. Okay. So one, another thing about engineering students, as I'm sure you know, is the whole, not besides internships, but also other extracurriculars, balancing their already heavy academics with doing things outside to strengthen their profile for either industry or grad school or whatever it is they're going into. What is, what is some, some of your personal experience that you would like to share with students who might be struggling with that? Okay, um, I was the extreme person that did every, every extracurricular activity that I could. Um, I went crazy with that. And actually, I kind of regret that. So I was a part of um, two martial arts related clubs and a sticking with one throughout, throughout college. Um, I was in uh, 
a couple of other recreational orgs. Um, I joined a cultural org. And I even founded a few clubs of my own. Um, and I wish I hadn't done most of that stuff, um, primarily because it took away a lot of my time from doing high quality work, either in those, in, in those clubs that I really cared about or um, in my um, academic career. So I would say that I would probably put two, maybe three clubs as a dead limit. And I would then focus just on doing really, really well at those. So in my case, looking back, what I probably would have done is I would have done, had my, my academic career, um, maybe my MMA club, and, uh, and then my, uh, then, then maybe an internship. And then, of course, my academic research. Called it good. That's it. I see. So also then, as someone who's completely interested or interested in so many different fields, a lot of engineering students are also looking into pursuing other fields as much as they can alongside the engineering track. How would you advise students who might be considering either like double majoring or engineering and minor of something else? Okay, I have a little rule for thumb, rule of thumb for that because I ended up doing doing a couple of minors as well, and I chose I tacked those on last minute. Um, so, but as far as double majoring, I did want to double major as well. It didn't go through um, because credit limit. But the the rule of thumb that I would follow is take your workload as an engineering student and multiply it by two. If you think you can handle that, go for it. If not, don't go for it. So I would just, I, I would lay it out like that so that you can really honestly decide, do you really want to put the stress on yourself? I mean, sorry, this is a little, a little like jumping around the topics, but, but um, I wanted to, I wanted to focus a little bit of time on the virtual aspect of classrooms right now. Yeah. So you're, part of the reform or the main part of the reform is to introduce more hands-on learning throughout the the duration of, of the undergraduate career right so uh, early on and, and throughout um so what about students right now or students who you know are following the previous track so they're in their third and they're going into their fourth year um and students who are incoming are are getting all the hands-on experience and and basically learning everything that the older students have as much hands-on experience the older students have by their first year. What's your opinion on that? I want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly, that these younger students have a lot of hands-on experience and sometimes that at the same level, if not more than the students that are already older, is that what you're asking? Sure, yeah, or, or comparing like the, the current curriculum to new curriculum and, and how that translates like during the, the whole virtual classroom setting. I would say that um, the, 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 the fact that we have a virtual classroom that demands those reformations even more so because ultimately we are using a pretty outdated model where it's just cramming, cramming, cramming information um, that we may or may not be able to retain. Um, this the, the, this uh, virtual classroom, it kind of forces us to change our, our conventional model and apply for, yes, 
on one hand, design-oriented problems that will, first of all, curb cheating a bit more, and uh, second of all, kind of encourage befriending the concepts and applying them into your own novel creative idea. Um, but as far as the older students go, it's, one would hope they have the, um, the knowledge and the, uh, the ingenuity to adapt. But if not, then um, that's where you should really reach out to the students who can, and of course, um, professors and uh, TAs that can help you with that. Because um, at this point, engineering is very much lives by the philosophy of you evolve or you perish, which is a terrifying way to live. But you know, that's the way the field has always worked. I, I totally agree with that. Um, one, yeah, one of my main concerns is like just not being on campus. And um, I mean, lecture live, like that, that's a whole nother topic, like going to my lab classes or, um, you know, MAE3, which is for incoming students with the robotics competition. I feel like they, they missed out so badly on that experience. Um, and yeah, and like contributing to project orgs, like I, I contribute 20 hours a week to, to SEDS, the project, and we're, we're always hands-on and I'm always learning something every single week. And I've missed a lot of weeks since being virtual. So that's a huge concern of mine. And especially at like the peak of my, or like, right in the middle of my like undergraduate experience, it's sort of sad, but um, yeah, it is what it is, I guess. That, that, that's one of, one of the things that I, that I pushed for in Aichi in, uh, just so that we, we keep our skills fresh is to, we started an emergency project within the org that would just be for the quarter um, because we, this was back when we thought that COVID will only last a quarter is we just started to mass produce masks. We just tried to gain funding. We designed a mask and we started just mass printing them and sending them to hospitals because um, there was a former alumna who requested them. And that was kind of a way to keep um, whatever skills that, that people had alive for those that opted in. Um, but, you know, given now it's been, how it's been a lot longer, almost a year now, which is crazy to think about, um, it's getting to be a lot harder. And that's one thing where it's almost becoming something that we have to tell ourselves to do that, okay, I have to keep my skills alive somehow. What am I going to do? And that's where you just got to get good at Googling and kind of see that, what can I use to keep my skills alive? So um, one of the things I got is uh, well, like, for example, to play with um, some molecular modeling tools, I downloaded a few um, molecular dynamics things to mess around with. Um, for electronics, I got myself a Raspberry Pi kit. Things like that, yeah. Yeah, I, I miss soldering so much. I, I bought my own kit. <laughs> awesome. Pathetic, but it's fun. That's, that's awesome. No, I, I'm totally for that. I love that. Thanks so much, guys. Um, yeah, but um, what what would you say, like, just in general, kind of encompassing a lot of the different things that we've talked about right now is like one of the strongest pieces of advice that you would give to students right now? Be a self-starter. Like if you're really interested in doing engineering, 
ask yourself why you're, you want to do engineering and then, and then ask yourself, okay, um, can I do something right now to help push me in that direction? It doesn't have to be class related. It doesn't have to be related to a project that you, you are required or obligated to do. It can be something you want to do. Um, one of the things that I started doing just because I think it's kind of cool is I started to, um, I started to read, read about how there's a structure called the hydration layer that forms on the surface of graphene. So basically, um, graphene, it has kind of hydrophobic properties where um, water kind of beads up on the surface. So I read this paper about how it, um, how actually what happens is that water kind of forms like a, almost like a crystalline structure on the surface of the graphene. And then that's why you have the, the behaving all hydrophobic. So I started reading more about this and because I have a device that can measure um, the properties of the hydration layer, I started messing around, um, adding different concentrations of electrolytes, um, maybe adding a supporting electrolyte into it, seeing what happens, just honestly just messing around. I'd say messing around is the single best thing you can possibly do as an engineering student. Just if you have the time, maybe you have the money if that's a problem, around and find out actually yeah i totally agree and like on the same note you know like even if you're not good at it or you don't know what you're doing like you learn so much more from your mistakes than like yeah. from something that you succeed at right so even if you're like nervous about doing something just go out and do it and if you fail yeah. well you learned a lot from that you know i totally agree so actually, um, on that note, I want to ask you a question that I want you to ask yourself every single day and ask everyone you meet every single day. What have you learned today? That's scary. <laughs> Just anything. What have you learned today? Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm actually asking you, what have you learned today? Well, I learned that, that water forms a crystalline surface on <laughs> the of graphene, not just uh, hydrophobic. I love this I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Be cool. <laughs> uh, I learned about general chemistry when I was studying it, <laughs> studying it for my midterm tomorrow. <laughs> Good luck. Thank you. Appreciate oh, it. Gen chem. Oh, I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. Have you been on campus lately? Really? Who? Oh, me. Yeah. Last time I was on campus, I was it, that was in December. Oh right, right, right. You're home now, yeah. Yeah, I am in the middle of nowhere. How is the? How, how are you able to? Or so right now you've been just taking classes, or don't you have to be in a lab and? So for grad school? I would have to be in a lab, but um, because I'm in Nebraska, I told my PI to just take me off of any lists right now because I can't come to campus. So I've just been doing research at my startup. And actually, funny thing enough, that hydration layer experiment spawned into its own experiment that I'm trying to publish now. That's awesome. So walking around and finding out could lead to potentially a scientific publication. So even more reason to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if, if you fuck around and you want to write it up and publish with us, you can do that too at Jacob's. Oh, I mean, once I submit it to, um, once I submit it to like a, a journal and it gets accepted, I will definitely send you the paper. That's all. That's amazing. Yeah, that would be great content for us. We would love to feature you. Push yeah, I would. I would absolutely love that. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, I'm also considering maybe like, maybe I, do I want to stay at UCSD for my PhD or do I just leave with my MS? Ooh. That's like one of the big concerns I'm having right now. Like, do I want to stay in America even for my PhD? Wow, yeah. So you're considering the PhD versus going to industry, right? So what does industry look like for you with the master's? Well, actually, I, I'm still going to do a PhD either way. The question is if I stay at UCSD or not. Um, oh, I see. Never mind. Yeah, because uh, I really want, do want to go into academia, but I also do have a deep vested interest in doing industry in some way, usually, probably, most likely the startup route. But yeah, um, PhDs in America, they're really cool because they could probably have a real world impact pretty quickly. But the research culture in Europe is very appealing to me because they're really concerned with like fundamental concepts, um, building a very deep understanding of a certain concept or idea. And that sounds a bit more appealing to me because the real world impact that can come later, that's fine. But like the thing I'd said with the graphene and the hydration layer, that's a very fundamental concept. And uh, I think that would be something of greater interest in, uh, in the EU, probably Germany or um, the Netherlands. Um, not so much in America, at least not in the next four or five years, maybe. Interesting. Well, sorry, <laughs> besides that, what other factors are you weighing between um, your decision on where to do your PhD? Well, of course, the lab culture is very important to me. Um, typically, if you are, you're choosing a grad school, um, you can look at the name of the person slash university that you're going to be working with. Um, the lab culture is, how the lab culture is, like how they carry out research and how they um, treat their students. And then what do you want to do? I choose what I want to do and the lab culture. That, those are the most important to me. The name I don't particularly care about. Because ultimately, yeah, you could graduate from a great lab like at MIT or Oxford, but I hate your life. I don't, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point, man. Yeah, um, one of my friends uh, graduated uh, with his PhD uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, he graduated from probably, probably the best labs at his university. And he just says, good riddance. I'm never going back. <laughs> yeah, that is really sad. So. Are either of you considering uh, grad school? Um, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Like it's, it's always been in the back of my mind, right? Um, and I think um, it, it, it's, it, it, was, it got a little bit more difficult too once I joined structural engineering and veering away from mechanical because um, I was sort of under the impression that I could go into industry and then I could find something that really inspired me uh, within my first first year or two and I can go back. Um, mm. Now looking at the structural engineering, um, the like structural engineering firms and civil engineering in that whole field, it's mm. a little bit less flexible with that. And um, they, they do like masters in some cases, but, um, and the only really analysis that you're gonna do is FEA. And mm. it really, like truthfully, there's a, there's a cap. And so if, if I do want to start considering again, 
do I want to do industry or do I want to do a grad a grad program? Um, I have to veer away from the the civil engineering route, um, but that's going to be its whole its own struggle because that's since that's my background, I have to I have to complement that right with more electives, um, more technical electives, more projects, etc. Yeah, I have a friend who went that exactly graduated with civil engineering degree at UCSD, went to UCLA for a master's. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll think about it, but um, I'm definitely interested in the, the BSMS program. I'm not, I'm sure nanoengineering has a similar program. Yes. yes. Well, what do you know about the nanoengineering BMS, BSMS? Well, generally speaking, if you do pretty well through your undergrad, um, by your third year, um, you can apply and then just an extra year or um, after you get your bachelor's and stick around for one more year. Um, as long as you do online classes and either you complete your thesis or you pass the test. Um, there's a comprehensive test of that, that basically tests you over five classes that you take and do well on that. You get a master's. Um, I think it's like, yeah, 60% you get your master's. So I'm taking that test actually um, next month in, in March and I get 60%. I have my master's. So, and if you get a 70%, you can apply for PhD. Wow, interesting. Oh, good luck. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, I'm thinking it's pretty similar across the other departments as well. Um, same thing, if you're, if you're doing particularly well your third year and you can, you can apply for the BSMS program. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you just apply by conventional grad, uh, grad school application. Yeah. So are you considering grad school? No, probably not. I'm actually on the pre-med track. <laughs> oh, for sure. So different kind of doctorate. All right. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. I think I might have even seen you before on um, one of the Discord servers. I'm not sure. Mm. I feel like I've interacted with you like once before, and it might have been you advising me against the pre-med track. <laughs> uh, I mean, generally speaking, pre-med is... I think pre-med is one of those things that where it's a great track, but I think that a lot people are going towards it rather than because they want to, because they're kind of pressured into it. So I'm just like, do you really want to do that? Same thing about engineering. Do you really want to do that? That's really fair. That's definitely something that I've put a lot of time into, but um, I think yeah. I have a good support system and really just the first year still. So still oh. figuring things out and we'll see how it goes. You're a first year. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't tell. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I think you're like a third year. <laughs> but thank you. That's nice. That's very kind of you. All right, cool. Yeah, well, it was so great um, talking with you tonight. Thank you so much for letting us interview you and being our first guest on our new podcast series. Thank you. So thank much. you, and I hope this really takes off. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, it was really great talking to you. Yeah, great talking to you.